Hello and welcome to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast. Today we are talking about heavy metal drummers. Easily the most uh, performative and athletic of all of us in the heavy metal scene. Um, these people, they just, they go all out. And I think when you go to a heavy metal show and like we haven't been in the coronavirus age for quite a while and hopefully soon uh, we'll be back at shows. Let's pray for a quick delivery of vaccines and health recovery of society as such. But until then, when we get to shows, let's, I mean, it's, it's hard not to ignore just like the presence of the drummer in, in the, in the heavy metal band. And I've always said as a critic, um, not personally, but as a critic, if, if you have a bad drummer, your band can't be good. Like, and that's, there, there are exceptions maybe if we really dig to find them. But aside from that exercise, let's really focus on like what it means to really put drums behind heavy metal and like what, energy that 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 derives in as far as bands you know come out and 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 as they do so um before we hit record on this podcast uh we uh we're talking about brand dealer and um actually uh from mastodon and uh man it's like well hey fuck all that shit let's introduce ourselves first um joe april Hey, how's it going? Hey, everybody. Doing and well. Ted Newble. We got Ted on the line. Hey, Andrew. How's it going? Yep. And then we got Langdon, too. Hey, Langdon. I'm still the Joker. <laughs> Langdon is the Joker, and we are talking about uh, Brand Ailer of Mastodon. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, if, what, if, what if it was Brand versus the Joker? How would that be? Uh, well, Brand would get uh, thrown into chemicals, and he would get Jokerized. Is how that would how that would go down. He's good on a drum kit. I'm not sure his Aikido is going to be good enough to keep the Joker from Jokerizing him. That's the new hit thing in a in a recent Batman comic. He was Jokerizing buddies. I love that. I love that idea of Brandaler as like a comic figure because in the Mastodon music videos, he plays a comedic figure. Like I, yeah. he made me laugh when he, when they did the, the Mr. Rogers thing, like as he played Mr. Rogers, <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah. And, but aside from that ability to uh, be entertaining in music videos, Bran is also an incredible drummer and we've seen his progression in Mastodon almost like a blossoming of talent. And I, and I say this personally, not representing the, the, the views of the other uh, people on the on the podcast here but me personally Andrew I find the most interesting part musically of Mastodon to be brand um, not to take away from the guitar work or the vocals or anything else but like literally seeing his explosive like fill energy on remission and Leviathan transform into like chorus kind of like almost like grand stadium energy on later albums, like once more around the sun, not the latest album, but uh, uh, one of the later ones, which I quite like. Um, it's just interesting to see a drummer uh, uh, work with such a variety of, of, of attacks as far as like, Oh, he can have this really sharp pointy, like sort of like fill heavy, lots of notes, lots of going on attacks to like a more chorus feel to a more, like not in the background, but, more, but like more of like building the atmosphere feel. And I think a drummer plays both roles, uh, atmospherics and also keeping the beat, keeping the role, yeah. keeping everything going. Um, but Hey, Mastodon, we got fans of varieties of Mastodon flavors. Uh, we early fans, later fans, all fans. Let's take it from so, brand dealer and just take it bigger from that. What do we got? So Braun, 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 brand. I don't know how to, I, is it Brondell? Is it Brand? Yeah, if I've been saying it wrong this whole time and you've not corrected me, is that the? Is yeah, that the? I'm pretty sure it's Brand. It's Brand. I think it's Brand. I've watched a bunch of documentaries with them, and he says his name, and it's like it's like Neil Peart. The name will hit me, and I'll be like, "So that's how you say it," and I'll forget immediately, mm. even though like I adore the guy. So let's go with Brand, but not I, not to infringe on any Raisin Brand rights, legacies, yeah. trademarks, anything. Just putting that on legal record. Thank you. We're only going to infringe on that on the Twitter account where exactly. we will be infringing on it. We're going to jokerize you, Raisin Brand. Watch out. You've got in the chemicals. Um, love Raisin so, Brand. Go for it. <laughs> so uh, I was I was a drummer growing up. That was sort of my um, I, unlike or not unlike like a lot of people who like heavy metal. You know, you 
gravitate to an instrument at some point. Even if you don't do much with it, you just sort of... It seems inevitable. If you like heavy music, right. you just pick up an instrument. I lived in a family of guitarists, so I was like, fuck that. I'm different. <laughs> Hashtag, I'm different. So I got the drums. Um, and I pushed myself for a while into more and more, like, very strict progressive rock territory. Like, Neil Peart, um, Dream Theater, Yes, Gentle Giant, stuff like that. Like, the thought being, like, I wanted it to really push me. And this is after, like, you know, your, your Metallica fixations and stuff like that. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on Lars. Um, <laughs> but uh, mostly positive ones. Um, but so I, I built myself up into this pretty rigid, like, I could do really, I got to tech death and stuff. So I could do, you know, really technical stuff. But at a certain point, it was like, you know, my, the friends of mine who were like R&B drummers could like play in the pocket and had a lot more feel than me. And I was like, oh, I don't care about that. I can do like three polyrhythms at once. And something about hearing March of the Fire Ants, that first big ass single um, from Remission that like pretty much anyone paying attention to underground metal was like, holy fuck. Um, pretty much. Yeah. And like I knew about today is the day as well. Like Temple of the Morning Star is a huge record for me. Obviously not the one that the guys from Mastodon played on, but I had, because of that, heard, like, Through the Eyes of God, which I think is the name of the record that they played on. Um, so it's vaguely aware of them, but I was, like, 14, 15. And then, you know, Leviathan comes out, and that... I don't know a single person who likes metal now who did not love that record when it came out, and most of them still love it. As someone who doesn't think that that's their best album, that is such a great album, I can't believe how great that album is. Like it's it's such a mark it's such a hit it's a fucking masterpiece and his I, I, drumming I, on that album is 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 beyond insane. It I still is, will go up yeah. to bat for the fact that the first four Mastodon records are as close to a modern version of the first four Metallica records that we're gonna get. I oh man, what a great what a great editorial idea. That's that's a fucking spicy. Now that's what I call a spicy take. One that's not like oh I'm deliberately edgy, but one that like really makes you think. Yeah, Even in terms of the take, pairing yeah. of like rawness and increasing sophistication and things like that. But aside from that, hearing mm-hmm. him on Leviathan was like, obviously I love the riffs. I love the blue, the bluegrass bits. I love the m- kind of triple vocal attack. They hadn't super fully developed it then, right. but they, they had right. the early. But it was hearing those like roaring fills that reminded me more of like Man. Ginger Baker or something mm. like it didn't feel like heavy metal drumming. It felt like rock and roll drumming. It felt like yeah. John Bonham. Now it Ted felt like is a drummer. Ted is a, Ted is an actual flesh and blood drummer. Um, what's Ted? What's your? I guess like how does Brandaler impact you? Like what's your? I guess the feel? the tail end of the thing that I was saying was that like yeah. after that it just broke apart that like rigidity that I had, and I was like, no, I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> It's like it was just it was a seismic thing for me. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I'll say that when I listened to um Leviathan for the first time, the drums didn't sound like I maybe expected them to sound, like based on how I knew heavy metal at that time. I was like, Wow, there's like the way the fills are accentuating this rhythm, like the way they fit into the meter of the song is like not how like how I would play it basically left my understanding of drumming at that time, which was to be fair and still is heavily influenced by like Bill Ward style kind of jazz driven blues heavy drumming so like the way that the fills and stuff in leviathan on like blood and thunder the way that like breaks apart the rhythm of the song is really cool stuff and i think that's probably my no actually i think crack the sky is probably my favorite from him and i remember watching like live videos of him playing that's that live and it's like just completely ridiculous because i think he sings at the same time so it's like doing these ridiculous (laughs) fills across the drum set while he's singing it's like fuck can't do either of those and um i know like now they say like he, they try to avoid playing that stuff live because it's like so complicated and it takes so long to learn it all again yeah he has that i mean i was going to mention he has that phil collins quality obviously where it's like yeah. you know he's he's a really good singer like when he started singing sure. more prominently i you know i thought he was the most melodic of all of them in terms of their singing mm-hmm. and being able to do that at the same time while drumming which is already a musical instrument i i have a ridiculously hard time even imagining myself doing like in terms of being able to do two patterns at the same time and then be able to sing on top of that i'm like uh wow um it is impressive 
Yeah. Le- uh, Leviathan is probably my favorite. It was the album that got me into the band. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think I heard maybe March of the Fire Ants a bit before, but Le- when Leviathan came out, I remember the press for that, like in Metal Maniacs and like going like, okay, I need to get this. And I think yeah, it's one of the greatest like, metal albums of all time. I think, yeah. I think as far as critics go and as far as fans go, as far as people go, like if there's one to remember, it's, it's that. I one think probably. it's yeah. a strong contender for, you know, and I'm, you know, decibels done lists like that. I, I think maybe we did a list like that back in the day, but like for the two thousands, it's easily right. a top 10 album. Oh God. Like, it's gotta be in there somewhere. I'd, I'd throw yeah. out, it's gotta be the number one. I mean, as much as as much, I I really? love Crack the Sky really? as much as the next guy. But Gojira like, was around then too, man. If you pick, if Mastodon <laughs> came drummer. out with, if Mastodon exactly. came out Duplantier with Crack the Sky first, fantastic. yeah. I don't think Mastodon. I don't think Crack the Sky would have resonated as strongly with people as it did if uh, Leviathan had not come out before. That's a very true point. Um, but let's not forget about but, Mario yeah. Duplantier from Gojira. Uh, that that's another one where like that's hard I, to combat. Do you combat like Leviathan against from Mars to Sirius? It's like whoa. From Mars to Sirius <laughs> is a legit ten out of ten record for me. It's, like it's, it's, it's an eleven out of ten record. It's one of it, the greatest albums ever written. I um, hear I hear people say some straight nonsense about Gojira, where like they're bad now because no. they oh, they're really exactly good now. <laughs> they're it's, even better. <laughs> and I think yeah. a lot of this comes potentially from people who so this uh, this i think gets at the your point about you can't be a good metal band without a drummer because and this also strikes against the one point that that i think about a lot that that andy o'connor made of metal and rock being separate genres they're not the same genre the one counter example i can think of that's very strong is the sense that ultimately they're both body music even at its most heady and intense and proggy you're meant to feel it in your body. Maybe you're not meant to dance to it, but it is like body music. Langdon, um, you're tapping into why I love deathcore, but thank you for that. I can I can follow that. <laughs> admittedly, I can I can Fuck follow yeah. that part. But um, and that's where like that's the role of the drummer. That's what the rhythm section is. Mm-hmm. Like you can either. Uh, you you have some situations where a band is laying such strong rhythms with the guitars that the drummer can be a bit more free and you know like fuck things up a bit more artistically. But there's other times where and Gojira is the example that I'm trying to come to with this, where I don't care if someone's like, oh, the choruses and guitars are a bit more radio rock. I can imagine this in a... I don't care. Mario is one of the most fucking inventive drummers I've heard. Like, he can play crazy technical stuff, and he still does live. You can hear it as much as you want. But there is no normal beat that he plays, ever. Not one. And it's like, it's it's so tasty. He keeps it very interesting above... I mean, like what, what I think Lane and what you're saying is that he's relatable, but inventive in that I think anyone can look at Mario as a drummer and say, wow, this guy's talented. Like you don't have to be a drum expert. You don't even have to listen to heavy metal to know that if you listen to this drummer, you say that guy has got something special about his style, about his method, about what he does. And, and I think his, these- that general appeal is what a lot of drummers don't get is that like I, I can get yeah. pretty specific with his. I mean, I, I'll, I'll spare people, but things like where he places the snare drum hits, things about mm-hmm. like how he handles cymbal accents. I mean, that's one of the big things that can. So, one of the things that spawned this was we were talking about George Colias, who is simultaneously right. one of the most hyperbolically gifted drummers on the technical end. And then when you watch him live, anyone who's seen him will, it, he looks like he is about to fall asleep. Because of just how effortless everything is for him. Like, he doesn't... George, I'm sorry if you're listening. <laughs> it's, it's, more that, it's more that, like, he's doing these crazy... And I was referencing before, them before. It's like Mike Mangini fills, where if you've seen Mangini play, his arms are, like, moving all across the kit, these, like, super wild motions. But he's just... His back is perfectly upright. His head is perfectly straight. Like, his form is so impeccable that it doesn't look like he's doing anything crazy. Right. You're talking passion versus execution or something like that. Um, and you know, if, to be fair to play things of that level, you need to have really goddamn good technique in order to just do it consistently. Oh, so George you know, no, has some there. of the best technique of all 
of all genres. Yes. And it's like, but you can look at like bad versions of him that you see like all around the tech death scene. And as much as I love death metal, as much as I love tech death, that that's becomes this big problem in that world of people who are very, very gifted on the technical end, but they don't necessarily know, like it's the repetitive drumming element where it's like Mario, Mario is groove for days. Yeah. I've never heard Mario Duplantier get behind a drum kit and not play a groove that'll knock me on my fucking ass. Exactly. And that's the point is that he has this human sort of push to behind his drumming where it's not he's not some mechanism replicating some heavy ass fuck, you know, fucking drum riff. He's like he just feels groovy and he he gets you into that. He feels like a man playing drums as opposed to a machine executing a formula. I think that's maybe what you're getting at. Something around there where it's the tech death artificiality gets to me all the time where where you have drummers that are hyper technically fantastic, but like they don't have any like there's no hook. There's no catch. There's no like element Mm -hmm. that takes my mind away from the technicality and toward the groove. I don't know. I especially think Ted, you're a drummer. Um, You you fight against the forces that hold you away from new technical horizons just like every other musician but you also fight the force of like what is groovy and what is not yeah i mean for like the style of metal i play which is much closer to black sabbath than um nile you know it's not right. usually, not usually tough for There's me. a big differentiation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, someone has the opposite problem where it's like, uh, you know, on a death metal record, when you have that much kick drum going and all those, this, the Tom Fills and all that stuff, like every element, yeah. of, like every note is pretty much not that big. Like, um, there's in like if they're double basing versus not, there's not that a huge dis- difference to the listener. In fact, I remember when I first started listening to death metal, like when I was like, you know, 15, 6, and I didn't know what everything was, the death or the, uh, the kick drum, it didn't, I didn't know that was a kick drum. I thought it was like suddenly they were playing with their hands because it's so high pitched and like tinny, you know, like with that <laughs> click attack. And later I'm like, right, shit, that's right. like the fucking kick drum and that stuff. Like it sounds like someone's like on like some sort of like cranking a little, like, I don't know, like a bicycle or something and making like a clicky sound. Anyway, so in like death metal, because of that, uh, they can pretty much do whatever they want and express themselves with a lot more notes and stuff without really breaking the the volume dynamic of the song but when you're going slower like you know like with sleep and stuff if he breaks out double kick you're gonna feel every single fucking note of that and it's gonna be really heavy it's gonna change the whole impact of the song so it's this weird feedback loop where where it's like the 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 impetus of the music whether it's slow and heavy or fast and aggressive like whether it's slow and bass or if it's a fast and like hard mid or treble kick then influences back the music where it's like okay if we're going to be slow and heavy we're going to have a lot of bass all the time but if we're going to be fast and clicky and midi we're probably going to cut the bass out and get that get that kick drum to be more of that i think what you're saying the fake kind of treble sound the click attack the punch attack it's hard to describe now the band yellow eyes all their albums they've i think used live kick drums because they sound authentic in that they don't have that that synthetic sort of bass resonance that gets put in whenever they do triggers and all the magical stuff they do with drums nowadays there's a fun specific thing about that um at as a drummer that sort of <laughs> one pisses me off about bands that overly rely on blast beats I'm a metal fan. I fucking love a good blast. No, not knocking we blasts go. whatsoever. We, we all love blasting, but especially if it's um, heavily drum replaced or done done excessively, it does one of two things. Either mix wise, you have to start compressing the fuck out of it or doing like sample replacement in order to just not turn the entire track to mud because you're going to be building up these mid range frequencies that are you're just not going to be able to hear anything. Not to get too technical for people, but you wind up making it more artificial so that you don't drown out the song or you let it drown out the song. And now I sort of it almost gives like a sleepy quality, even though on paper it's supposed to be more intense. I'm just like, I'm going to conk out. Um, And this partly ties into if you use an acoustic drum for blasts and you're not really attentive with mixing stuff, you start getting... The difference between the acoustic drum and the electric drum is the acoustic drum's actually resonating. Like, it's creating this, like, if you hit a drum and stop it, you'll hear this, like, little hum of the 
the resonance of it. And the more of those you have, or the more that you reinforce that with, you know, blasting, if you're not paying attention, all of a sudden that drowns out everything. Um, and so it's, it's, it becomes this thing that the more you know on the engineering and playing end, the more when you hear like a really well mixed record, you could be like, oh shit, these, this guy really knows what the fuck he's doing. And it can right. sometimes be the difference between thinking a drummer is good or thinking a drummer is bad is not how they're playing. It can be, it can be the guy behind the knobs, which is a really fucked up thing to think about where it's like, this is actually this a really good absolutely point because- great band that, yeah, yes. Langdon, I'm glad you bring this up because I think I think it's hard to say. I mean, this could obviously start a bunch of online arguments. That's, that's not the point. But I think I think when it comes to mixing and mastering, getting the drums right is should be of utmost importance. Like that's especially really in heavy metal. Like, especially in heavy metal like that's where like guitars black- like you can sort of get away with some kind of like creative sloppiness or creative difference. But man, the drums, they got to be the way you want them to sound. Not necessarily perfect and clear, but if your idea for a sound is such a way, like let's say it's slightly distorted and distant, or if it's this or that, you just got to get that idea perfectly executed. I think for the best chance of the music turning out, so to speak. Yeah, you know, like there's something about like room recorded drums on black metal oh, records where yeah. it's superb. I love it. Like You're talking to a bunch of music nerds now. Um, yeah. If you're listening to this podcast and not to decry the fact that a lot of bands will fucking record into samples, record into clicks or track or whatever they do um, to net to, to enhance the overall feeling. But as music critics, if you really want to impress us, record your drums live. Just do it. And, I mean, and, the, and, and just obviously, there's a whole bunch of engineering tricks of the trade where there, it, there are a whole bunch of records where you wouldn't think it, but they're using like exactly they, they do sample a snare and they mix that in with yeah. the actual live it, a whole bunch of stuff like that. Not knocking that, but these are engineering Dude, you tricks. Gotta do that what you got to do to make purpose, music but, sound good. We get it. We get but it. There's, but there's a point yeah. where I'm listening to a black metal record and it'll be something that someone loves and I'll put it on and I'll be like, these drums sound like dog shit. And I don't want to name names, but I'll just I'll just be sitting there being like, "This is clearly a guitarist had some riffs, but is so unpersonable that they couldn't get a band, so they made the worst sounding drums in the world." And I'm like, "Please no, please don't." Now, as a pivot, I do want to say, as a guitarist, as someone who's played guitar since he was 16, um, and who's never played in a band or on stage, just bedroom guitarist, basically like therapy hobby. Um, I've always wanted to be a drummer. I've always felt that urge, I guess, like as a guitarist to be a drummer. And I wonder if drummers and Ted, I'm asking you this question. Have you ever wanted to be like a guitarist? Uh, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> a little bit, but no, but like maybe uh, like yeah. being a drummer is special. Like being a guitarist is not special at all. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, also, I can play piano yeah, or I quit it one time. So it's like I, this guitar would be cool because, you know, I could apply those skills to writing heavy metal more that can apply my piano skills, but not enough right. to really seriously get into it beyond having one in my basement I don't touch. So, yeah. I, uh, I definitely switched at a certain point. You can't see it at home, but I'm showing uh, my guitar on uh, on camera. <laughs> like it, yeah. What guitar is that? I, I like ESPs and that's an LTD. Which one? Yeah, it's it's just it's just like a, a like a low price LTD that I just picked up to have. Um, Fuck yeah! Actually, dude. my brother. My picked first it up guitar was an LTD, man. Like my first was it was the fifty series, the baseline, the fake I mean, wood I mean, body series. Oh man, it was so nice I mean, to huge, play. A huge amount yeah. of your tone is going to be coming from the amp anyway, and I pretty have a nice much yeah. amp that gives. But whatever, that's that's separate stuff. But, but no, what I'm saying is, I mean, you should talk more about creating music because actually, I don't think I know you much for creating music. Oh yeah, no, I, I do that a, a bit. I I have I have uh, uh, demo tracks on Bandcamp under names that I won't say because <laughs> they're embarrassing. Is secretly, Langdon <laughs> is secretly the guitarist for Blood Incantation. <laughs> it would be funny. I'm I'm Vince Vall. Um, uh, that would be funny. Ah oh, man, I'd love if I was Vince Vall. Um, but yeah, like I, I I definitely feel the sense that you have because one of the big problems that i had as a drummer growing up was if you have a musical idea and you're not like competent with a guitar 
either on music theory and so that you can communicate like it's these chords or like this kind of right or with playing it so you could be like you know play you show them on the guitar all of a sudden you can't communicate these riff ideas aside from humming them into a tape recorder and fucking hoping that someone can parse them but that hits at one of the necessities that i think you're getting at earlier with the comment of like a great band has to have a good drummer like you can't be a great band with a bad drummer you can be a great band with a bad guitarist but not the other way around because regardless of what genre you're playing the drums have this orchestral quality to them okay like you see it a million times the mood of a riff changes drastically depending solely on the drum beat behind it to the point exactly. where functionally the mood of your music is determined by the drummer, not by your riff. You can have the worst riffs in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you have a good enough, like that's part of like the quiet sophistication of drummers um, on paper is even if you're not overthinking it, even if it's just a gut instinct, your gut instinct is how do I frame this riff? Like what beats exactly, am I accentuating yeah. and how am I accentuating them to create you know, an aggressive feeling, a thrashy feeling, a dumb primitive feeling. Uh, I mean, that's where we get whole genres of hardcore and uh, death metal based on doing a D-beat. The riffs aren't different. Like, that's the funny thing when people are like, oh, I hate this part of OSDM, but I like this kind. I hate bands that sound like this. I love ones that sound like this, is that the guitars and the riffs aren't going to be worlds apart. They're going to be different, but they're largely it becomes like, uh, ulcerates like overactive like avant-garde drumming versus like autopsies like really ultra simple drumming versus suffocations right, right. like sharp technicality i'm gonna piss uh, uh joe off or not joe i'm gonna piss john off and call it their very angular technicality <laughs> he hates that he's word. wrong for hating the word angular. i'm gonna we're going to make a post on Visible Oranges. Uh, it's just going to be the word angular, period, <laughs> title. And then every word of the article is going to be angular, period. And then we're going to have a band called Angular, and the riffs will be angular. <laughs> when people complain about that word, I like to just tell them, I'm sorry that you have aphantasia and can't uh, picture sounds or images in your mind. <laughs> that I sounds mean, like a depressing life, time. and I feel bad for you. For- from, from what you were talking about, I mean, it's something I've definitely noticed where, you know, in the composition of a song, it's always an interesting dynamic where it's like, it's it's a relatively, like, there could be a relatively mid to slow paced riff, but then you have the drums, like, kind of kick in and they're going really quick and immediately it feels different. It does. Yes. Yeah. The guitars are not changing a damn thing. Um, like, and I feel like... One of the ones I always often think about that with is like something like Dark Thrones, Blaze in the Northern Sky, where like there'll either be this really slow kind of like slow down Celtic Frost riff or something, or there, there's no drums at all. It's just sort of sort of like this riff that um, Nocturno is playing. And then all of a sudden the drums kick in and the riff hasn't changed whatsoever, but just the drums change the feeling and immediately like pulled into something else what i love about heavy metal is that heavy metal is this mixture of intensities it's it's the it's the high degree intensities which is the guitars and the vocals which affect you acutely they affect you directly but there's these low degree intensities too which really like more subtly tease on your subconscious where it's like the drumming keeps your body whatever brain parts are regulating the way your body feels or the way your body's moving, whether your knee bops or whether your elbow moves or you keep a beat, like all that stuff matters. And when it comes to music and the drummer is a huge part of this, like this almost subconscious appreciation for music that I think a lot of us, a either talking on this podcast or be listening to it have in some capacity is this interest in music. And I think the body it's almost a separate thing from the mind in that sense. Maybe a bit. Yeah. Lying I mean, in. this is, this is one of the big things that, um, I think I speak for all of us here that like when push comes to shove, I vastly prefer American style power metal to European style power metal. Now, Same. obviously there's, there's exceptions to this. Everyone loves blind guardian for good reason. They're a fucking great band. Um, 
fucking phenomenal. But most <laughs> Euro power metal isn't that. Most of them aren't, in my opinion, even on the same level as like Gamma Ray or Halloween, other bands that I that I adore. Um, and like I love bands like Angra and stuff like that too. But you know, meanwhile, for me, the big differentiation is less in terms of the guitars or the melodic arc that they tend to go for, and more in something like the drumming, where in American power metal, there's deliberately this, I almost want to call it punky kind of chunkiness to the drums, where it's, it feels like someone playing beyond their ability. And that being a, a completely different kind of affect. Often, they, they actually have tremendous ability. They're just trying to get into like a certain sound. But it's a sound that we strongly associate with late 70s to early 80s heavy metal where they absolutely in a lot of cases were playing stuff that was beyond what they could actually pull off technically but that kind of rub of you can hear both in your brain what they're trying to do and hear that slightly punkish like sloppiness that it isn't falling apart but you can it gives that kind of like a raw energy to it and it's it's that same raw it's that specific rawness that I think early black metal really drew from is this sense of they have a grand vision in mind but can't necessarily play up to that level and that the way that that gives you have to compensate with aggression to cross that gap and just that sound of drumming just oh I just oh I adore it oh it's so good it's like <laughs> that's like the central pillar of heavy metal Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, definitely, I think, you know, not to diverge too much into just talking about power metal, but <laughs> c- certainly the European style. I mean, there's more of that neoclassical influence on everything. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, to make it as simple as possible, it's sort of like American power metal, U.S. power metal. It's like it has more of that kind of man of war, early man of war kind of feel to it. A little more kind of like bum bum it's ridiculous it's more ridiculous sounding is what you're saying yeah they they they, and that's that's i think um in another important part of like thinking of drumming as an orchestral arrangement instrument because if you were to clean those drums up in those instances of making really precise like like hyper technical playing I mean, it's it's the Beatles problem when people bring up Ringo as a bad drummer. It's like, okay, think about tech death drumming behind the Beatles. It would be fucking terrible. It would be yeah. fucking garbage. Like, and it's, it's the same tech thing death with like... Beatles. You, you even think about Black Sabbath without Bill Ward. I mean, this is why it was so controversial that they went with anyone aside from him. I think they did an mm-hmm. adequate job for 13 in the uh, farewell tour, but like, obviously it should have been Bill. Like, inequivocally, it should have been Bill. They only, they screwed him out of money is is the whole thing there. Um, But it's because the way that those players frame things. It's also one of the reasons why I'm still like a massive, massive defender of Mike Portnoy. um, Because, (laughs) yeah, that's right, baby. We talk in Dream Theater now. They put out a live album. I'm like, in Dream Theater now. It's like, I was talking about fucking uh, George Clay is playing a big kit. Dude, Portnoy plays the biggest kit. <laughs> if we want to talk not about any, the big, if we want to, if we want to talk about the biggest kits, I mean, all we have to do is name one word. What Basio? Tool. <laughs> I, 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 he doesn't. What's funny is he doesn't. Danny Carey doesn't play that massive of a kit compared to someone like Terry Basio, which play he plays like a cartoon kit. It has seven bass drums. <laughs> Admittedly, it's also the, it's, it's also the sound. When it pads, becomes cartoonish, it's, a, it's in a category of its own. Yeah, it has like sort of fifty a, a symbols. Digitally quite large kit. Um, but yeah, it's like one of the things that I adored about. Portnoy is specifically the fact that the band will be playing one riff unchanging, but he will transition between three different beats underneath Mm. and that will drastically change how you're feeling where the upbeat is, where the downbeat is, how you're subdividing the beat in your head. Like, even just those little touches of if I'm playing four, do I play it as, you know, just straight four four, or do I play it as five plus five plus a stinger of two like 
Actually, no, that would, you'd have to subdivide that different. So it'd be like five plus five plus six. But all these different, like, little things that are, if, if you're childish, it's impressive just because someone's moving the numbers around. But it's more on, on the listener end. It's like, oh, you can make one riff sound all these different ways and demonstrating it in, like, you know, just a little 10 second segment of the song where I'm going to play I wonder, one past the. I, yeah. I love I that wonder. shit. I'm big ass I wonder if I wonder if Mike Portnoy would be more interesting if he was less interesting, honestly. Like <laughs> if if like Fuck maybe <laughs> if maybe like if maybe he's so interesting in that way, which is you describe I'm trying to be honest to the way Langdon described him. Um without saying that I think that is it's way overblown and not that interesting. <laughs> Um, Bro, you can't listen to Braun Daler and Gojira and then be like, no, but that's overblown. What the hell? Yeah, but it's dream theater, man. It's like the context is so hilarious that you have to just like come to terms with the fact that the drumming is insane too. It's great drumming. It's it's literally some of the best drumming I've ever heard. (laughs) There's no doubt about it, but I'm just... I'm just not interested so much in Dream oh, Theater. I'm well, right. And, and let's and let's and let's go let's go to a different direction. And we, <laughs> we we briefly talked about it earlier, but you know, one of the most controversial things in metal is the drumming of Lars Ulrich. Which I think <laughs> which I think we should finally dive into here. And Langdon, I, I think yeah, you, you said he had a lot to say about that. Let's start um, with yeah. Ted. Let's start with yeah. Ted, though, because I think Ted should say what he thinks about Lars Ulrich. Yeah. Aside from Napster politics, anything no, just drumming, as as a, as a drummer, drummer. Okay, yeah. Well, when I was a kid, I got a book on drumming, and it was uh, how to play the drums, and it was by um, Lars Ulrich, actually. So <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever seen like those books. They're like how to play a major instrument by a major instrument dude, but they're never very good. This one wasn't either, but it wasn't terrible. Um, yeah, and I think honestly, I don't. I definitely have watched live videos of Lars playing. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get why people say he's bad. And it's like, not like he's great, but he's always been able to kind of jam with a band in a way that's not like too distracting. Um, like recently on the SNM2 album, like you can definitely hear, like, okay, they, they shifted shit around to make this work somehow. And like, I don't really know what he's doing all the time, but it definitely it sounds good. Like, it's not like Metallica has never been technically demanding enough to really sound bad when it gets a little sloppy. It just sounds kind of cool and garagey. Um, and I don't think I really ever noticed any issues with the drums up until maybe recent years like even on death magnetic i thought that was pretty good like it was very snare heavy very like rhythmically uh geez uh, i was like so this is hold on first of all that's perfect this is the perfect opinion on on on, on, on lars Herrick that's never been spoken to anyone because because joe and langdon have their own opinions they're going to talk yeah. for hours and hours about their opinions but this <laughs> this is the perfect opinion <laughs> So continue, uh, please. <laughs> so Death Magnetic, like the drums there sound terrible, but back to um Langdon's point about like the engineering not being the performance, like they basically compressed the fuck out of that so that every note is like brick wall limited. So it's just like one big poof, 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 no matter what's playing. But actually I, I think it's pretty neat. It's um always kind of matching the riffs like very heavily and it's like basically all snare and snare and bass so there's not really any like tom fills or really anything else that you saw earlier on is playing and i can see why that's kind of not cool but i think it fits the vibe of the album um and i will also say as a closing point here that like i've learned many of the songs on ride the lightning like note for note and that shit is cool like you can't really fault that right dude fuck yeah like fuck yeah god i love that album Dude, I mean, I think, one of, I think one of Ted those. just delivered. No, before we all speak, Ted just delivered the monologue of the century. That was that was the definitive moment. I'm drumming of Metallica. He just summed it up. There's nothing else to talk about. Oh, I think there's. What else is there to talk about? Move on. No, I, I get, okay. No. We could open it up. We could go. Okay, we could go into leagues and leagues of shit about Metallica's drumming. Well, I, no, I think the, you th- no, you yeah. think we're going to be ragging on it, but we're not. I bet Joe and I agree on this. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite drumming performances of all time, and and again, not being a drummer, I can't talk too much about 
the technical aspects of really anyone we're talking about. You know, I only know how how the feel I get from it. Um, but easily, like if if you know we were hanging out and we were pulling up YouTube clips of bands playing live and like, oh man, check out this drum part here or check out this drum part here. Like one I would pull time and again would be I think it's like 1985 Metallica playing in Germany. I think it's some festival opening for like Venom, and they're playing Fade to Black, and Lars's drumming is just off the chain. Just he's an absolute beast, and and I love the part where like on the studio album it's very subtle hearing like near the end where the double bass actually kicks in. Um, like you kind of have to pay attention to notice it, but live, he just lets it roaring out and it's just such a giant swell. Again, the kind of, especially I think of that cliff burden era of the band, how, you know, it does feel sort of this orchestral composition. Um, it just creates this perfect swell for the finale of the song. I, I think a lot of people fixate too much on some absolute horseshit parts of Lars Ulrich's playing. Like, oh, look at these live clips where he, one, anyone who's played live will mention shit happens. Are you you talking the microaggressions against Lars Ulrich? I thought, it, well, I thought more of the hate was I thought more of the hate against Lars was the Napster thing. Not the, oh, well, there's that, but I, I yeah. he's been sort of like a joke in the instrument because he's easily the least instrumentally gifted member of Metallica. That's that's obvious. Um, oof, but oof. can we say that? Can we actually what? say that? Well, he also make, the he greatest makes a, rhythm guitarist yeah. in history. I'd say they're yeah. all equally instrumentally yeah. talented. No, I, and that I mean, he, they're he all made, in the greatest yeah. fucking metal band of all time. I, I mean, well, that's true. The, but, the, like, the thing is, is I mean, that is true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. That is true. I, I mean, I think there's merit to what Langdon's saying in that, you know, you wouldn't put Lars on the same pedestal as like Dave Lombardo. Like if we're honestly talking, it's because about we don't put drums in the same pedestal as the fucking. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Dave we don't put Dave drum. Lombardo on a pedestal. Like he's a great drummer and everything. Yes, but we do. Lars what Ulrich's are you talking about? <laughs> we put no, Lars I mean, Ulrich on a pedestal. Dave, Dave, I'm Dave defending Lombard- Lars Ulrich. Yeah. I'm Lars defending. I lost my mind when Dave rejoined the band. Yeah, but that did blow my mind too. That did blow my mind too. Like I'm saying is that we can't say that delusion is bad. I'm like, no, Dave came back. You watch your mouth. My point is that I Lars Ulrich, <laughs> Lars Ulrich, is not the weak point of Metallica. So there is well, the here's point. the thing: there is no weak point in Metallica, which is exactly the that, that is the point. Come to, is that they're a like, perfect band. The thing, the thing that people fixate on about, like, oh well, you know, you could play. Uh, there's bunches of videos of people going back. Well, what if I played it and I did, you know, different, you know, I use different kinds of symbols here. I use different it kinds be of Metallica, yeah. It, it misses the point that they were deliberately a combination, not just of heavy metal, not just a prog rock, but also that strong punk bit. And mm-hmm. there's that, again, I, I can't necessarily speak for, for, for Ted, but I think for a lot of people in who like metal in general, I picked up drumsticks. The first thing I wanted to fucking learn was Master of Puppets. I wanted to learn one. I wanted to learn For Whom the Bell Tolls. I didn't give a shit about any of this other stuff. None of it mattered. And because of the end, like, I know that, like, um, I forget his name. The guy who, um, he, he does YouTubing now under 66 Samus or Samus 66. And he's played with Devin Townsend a bunch. And he's played on a bunch of death metal records. Basically, everyone that you know and love that's a metal drummer also feels the same about Lars. Where it's like, I don't care that there's better players that man played perfect drum parts on my favorite heavy metal. That matters more. That's the point, is that you don't have to be a technically proficient. Not that Lars isn't. It's that he chose not to do a certain style for a certain album. And that album turned out to be one of the I, fucking greatest albums of all time. I, I mean, can we basically yeah. say he, he's, he's the Ringo of metal? Yeah. I think we I can very Let's strongly say that. Let's go for and it. Like, I mean, he's not Keith Moon, but but we yeah. could probably say he's like Ringo. And if you're a drummer, you respect Ringo. Like It's yeah. just a goof troop statement to be like, yeah, I'm a serious drummer, and I think Ringo's <laughs> drum parts were bad. And it's like, how? What would what would you... How, oh, add more splash cymbals? Fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, 
before before this ends, you know, I and I want to mention my part, but I do want to ask everyone first, um, or you know, if whoever else wants to finish it. But of people we haven't mentioned yet, is there like a favorite drummer of yours that we haven't talked about yet? That before this is done, like you're like I I have to get this off my chest. Are talking about metal drummers or just drummers in general? Uh, me- me- metal drummers. I mean, let's let's limit it to that. I guess that's fair. Or at least a favorite we haven't talked about that you like. You're going to be like, ah, oh, damn it, I didn't get to talk about that guy or or woman. Greg Fox. Greg Fox is a fucking machine. Not only is he a machine, he's a fucking instrument. He, he's an inst- he he cre- he turns drums into an instrument. He programmed um, synths and other electronic noises with his drum hits, and then from that created kind of like this orchestra kind of symphony sort of music. He he drummed in a duo called Zeese or a trio called Zeese, as well as Liturgy. He did, and he's also the drummer of pre later era Liturgy. He's the drummer yeah. of Aesthetical Liturgy. Um, Incredible! Drummer. My God, um, dude, he can, and also of Guardian Alien, who, by the way, is not only a great kind of psych metal band; it's just a great band band. Yeah, they're, they're as, a killer group, dude. Just incredible performances. My God. Um, uh, Greg Fox is my personal Andrew Rothman's favorite metal drummer is Greg Fox. His favorite drummer is probably Greg Fox too. But also Brandaler. I really like Brandaler of Mastodon. I, I really do, even though we were talking about it already. But okay. Honestly, I'd be hard pressed to have a short list of because mm-hmm. again, you you grow up as a drummer, you grow up with you know this sort of rhythmic focus in your brain. So it's like that will that will be the defining thing. The drummer of ISIS, I think, is massively yeah. underrated. Like, what a fucking killer drummer. Aaron Harris is such a goddamn great drummer. Like, beautiful sense of feel. Um, I, I could go on and on, but that's that's also because I can't hype ISIS enough. Perfect band. Perfect band. I love how I love how when a drummer is good, it like makes the band. And this goes back to what I'm saying, and I think Langdon called this out again. And I, I, I want to open criticism to this statement, but, but you cannot be a successful heavy metal band with, with some, there's always exceptions, but for the most part, you cannot be a successful heavy metal band without a good drummer. And I'm talking good, like, like for, ranging from, from, from good to very great, but you've got to be good. You can have crap guitarists, not crap, but serviceable where it's like they provide the riffs and the riffs are sick. That's great. Nothing, nothing, of a, nothing, nothing to write home about, but great riffs um, that can service that can work and vocals. You can fill in, you can do what you need to do, but, but drumming, if that sucks, if the drumming sucks, the band is not going to be very good. Who's your drummer pick Joe? Uh, well, Ted, do, do you, oh, yeah. you want to, uh, uh yeah, uh, I would go with uh, Mickey D specifically for performance on mm. King Diamond Abigail. And, uh, oh, fuck. Then, oh, yeah. Oh, God. I <laughs> hadn't even thought the of The whole night, that, right? I haven't thought yeah, of lighting that. Lighting the but... fucking candles, lighting the fires right here. here oh, go. yeah. The the yeah. the open to welcome home that... Just, oh, oh. Yeah. oh. Yep. But, but Ted, like Abigail specifically, like why why does that one stand out the most for you? Uh, first of all, it has the um, definitive best snare tone ever recorded on heavy metal. So there's that. Uh, other than that, like Not just the, every groove and every song is amazing. Like, uh, well, or mm. sorry, um, Arrival has like the intro that turns into like the kind of almost polyrhythmic part, and then the double bass. And then Mansion Mansion in Darkness has this thing where he's doing like a ride bell kind of on the off beats, and then like kind of doubles it up for this part. It's like really cool. I still can't play it. It's awesome though getting there <laughs> you know we don't talk about king diamond enough what a motherfucker like when was the last time you listened to house of god that's a killer record no that's one good, talks about it that's a good criticism Langdon. we have not talked about king diamond in actually a long while <laughs> yeah we have we have the, fucked up boys i i think you know if you know pray, pray pray to satan if festivals and stuff can happen by say august i think we'll be seeing for one thing merciful fate so you know let's you know, fingers crossed for Satan on that. Um, hey, on the on the tail end of this drummer episode, what do we got? 
We're about an well, hour. Uh, I, we still, I get, we still got Joe. Do you have something of extreme importance to share? His, his, the I, I answer didn't. to his own question, Andrew. <laughs> we'll let it happen. We'll let it happen. I'll let it happen. Uh, like when, like you know, Thank if, you. And if Gun pointed ahead, what do you think is the best drummer in metal? Uh, it would be Igor Cavalier. Um, I just his drumming, especially on a rise. Uh, I mean, that was the first Sepulcher <sighs> album I ever had. And again, I think like, you know, without that, I don't think you get Gojira. I don't think you get a lot of bands. Um, it just the fills and everything that just the, the strength and power he puts behind his beats. Um, and then even like up to, you know, some people don't like Roots. I love Roots because Roots is awesome. Record. I, I think roots it's is it, awesome. a work of art, especially in terms of the percussion, in terms of like Bloody what roots. he's doing. Yeah. Because, again, it's them trying to be tribal in, in sometimes a very literal way. Um, but it's just such a massive very drum sound that he's putting into that. So from something where like, I think his drumming on a rise is almost part of par with like Dave Lombardo um, to then something like roots where it's just sort of this um, something that I don't feel like many, any middle drummer had done before. Dude, that is a hot take. I like that. That is a we spicy also get one. Such, we get That's such good. killer playing from him. Like, he played on the Nail Bomb record, which is mm-hmm. a completely different drum feel. You know how little people talk about Sepultura nowadays? It's like, it's really yeah. not that often. And like, which is frustrating been, because, yeah. like, yeah. they've turned into three great bands now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, because, like, Modern Sepultura, regardless of how you feel about the Derek Green era, from basically Alex forward, they Dude, the finally... the latest album. The latest Quadra's album is really wicked. Awesome. <laughs> like, like, they really finally... <laughs> I think people who didn't get what the Derek Green era has been doing with Quadra, they can hopefully get it and look back. Soulfly, for the past, like, five records or so, has been fucking awesome. They mm. They... Moved past the jump to fuck up riffs and you know, I, 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 you know, which is so weird for like someone who's like into in, in, I'll openly say I hate new metal, but I do like Soulfly. Like, in even the Dude, most you gotta, new you gotta, of Soulfly, I, I'm not I, a big I new like, metal guy, like, I, I had that phase, but I. I look back you know, I on some Slipknot albums. Like, I, I don't disrespect new metal, it's a real genre, it's a real thing, it nope. means a lot to heavy metal. And on, but on, on but the Joe is goddamn oh, right. That band, yeah, yes. I mean, Primitive yes. is a killer record. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you as much as you have. So the song, there's a song on it, literally called "Jump to Fuck Up" mm-hmm. with uh, <laughs> uh, the with Jonathan Davis from Corn on it, which it's is new a, an embarrassing song. <laughs> but you also have the track. Just have a heart. But you also have the track "Primitive" on it, which is like it could have been on Roots. It's it's a fucking great song. But mm-hmm. you know they've since become a lot heavier and deathier. Oh yeah. Um, we now have Cavalera Conspiracy, which literally just feels like a continuation of Sepultura, because right. it is uh, basically the two main figures of that era of Sepultura, of the yeah. early era. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, and for whatever reason, people have turned their nose up at Sepultura. I don't, I don't get No, it. I don't you think know, it's, 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 it's yeah. not a nose up thing. It's more of like, those guys have, we've heard it's that so, name so many yeah. times. It's so bizarre because it's like, at this point, I really don't think it's ever going to happen. But it's like, you know, when we think about like in extreme metal and, and, you know, know, including thrash metal into that, all the reunions that could happen and have happened, like a simple tour reunion, I think, is the only one that would be so massive, but it's not going to happen. Like, yeah, just, that one's never going to happen. I mean, which no. is the reason Cavalier conspiracy is happening, I think, is because it's not going to happen. Because, um, like, I kept on thinking, like, what could be, like, kind of like a reunion where it's, like, you know, it would be headlining festivals and stuff. And obviously, like, I think was going to be that one this year. <laughs> but, but, like, Sepultura would be huge. Like, you know why? Because that, that band has the underground cred and the above ground prestige yeah. to both to rule both worlds yeah, well, yeah they you, have you know, both get chaos ad yeah. and roots where you've got the big hits um and you know and it's one of those things where it's you know they were even at that time they weren't as big as pantera in some bands in the mm. 90s no. but i think yeah. especially as a reunion 
it would be pulling in so many people because there are so many people who weren't there when it happened. The underground means a lot more. I can't say this. I can't say this realistically as someone who did not grow up in the underground in the nineties, but I think the underground, at least my perception of it has been pulled more above ground than it has in the past. And if there's going to be appreciation for a band, it's going to be appreciation for a band that who's both underground and above ground who bridges both realms. There's few bands who do this. Metallica can do this. We'll have to um, maybe dive into yeah. this more later. Cause I, I do feel like we're drifting away from drummer talk. Um, Absolutely. We are. <laughs> Thank you, look, Joe. <laughs> look, they can, look, no, you signed up to listen to this podcast. You know what you clicked on. That's right. You listen so to this on podcast. The point of new metal. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so a thing that no. sort of frustrates me sometimes about the, uh, the sort of reclamation of new metal that we see sometimes is that I think we inadvertently in trying to say things which, to be fair, I think should be obvious. Like corn deserves respect. Even if, they're not right right band that you dig like new metal belongs to them more or less some of the other big ones like deftones and system of a down great bands they're much less centrally new metal the thing that frustrates me is we have this rack of newer bands exploring that sound that i think are doing like a killer job and inadvertently get left out like loathe is is a band that i i literally had i had like I'd seen when the record came out and I listened to a couple tracks and then I sort of like didn't go back until I saw it on a couple lists from people that I respect and threw it on and was like, oh, Dude, fuck, this is like this is like from an alternate world where new metal is fucking great. <laughs> we have that Rina Sawayama record, which is fucking awesome. That's a killer record. We have like Poppy's um, experimentations with it, which I think are also dope. And they all hit in different areas of like how to we have that band Tala with Mike Portnoy's son that's my boy um, yeah yep, absolutely but like yeah and so it gets frustrating to see these people who are like no I want who basically feel to me like they don't want to feel guilty about their guilty pleasure so they go out trying to do a critical reclamation instead of like <laughs> if you wanted to be honest as a music critic there are new bands making music in that style that deserve credit critical attention they deserve public attention like they're really fucking good bands and that serves us better than just this this like ego driven pet cause of mine i need to not feel bad when i throw on a new metal record it's like then don't you're an adult like damn it on that goddamn bombshell we are about to hit the hour mark that's perfection i like this because langdon you mentioned 2020 is this is this is the coronavirus age a reclamation of like of of sounds that we only listen to by ourselves where it's like we listen to new metal and like get away with it because it's coronavirus we've had so much alone time we've just all reverted <laughs> we all We're listen to corn again so invisible oranges is run by uh, four or five individuals who listen to corn about 90 percent of their time um <laughs> <laughs> John is going to murder you for saying that. <laughs> John is here as the fifth individual. Um, seething John's in his the boots. biggest corn fan of all. Oh, John, I've never put a freak on a leash. He freaks out. <laughs> <laughs> he truly does live up to the title of freak on a leash. Nah. He's leash freaking boys. See, now we're just being mean because... because now nah, we're just being mean. No, absolutely. John, John is the most brilliant motherfucker I've ever met in my entire life. There's that. Um, to, to put it up, mm-hmm. back up. But uh, but I, I agree. There is like there is the sense that in in the coronavirus age where we're all insular, we're all trying to stay away from people as much as possible. Um, there's this sense that like guilty pleasures are okay. You know, it's it's totally fine. If you listen to Slipknot Volume Three three times in a row because it's that great, um, that you're not going to hell, and I'm not going to hell uh, for doing that <laughs> because that's I their fourth <laughs> worst record. And and, oh. you, and and to pull it back into the theme mm. of drummers because I'm a stickler for that. <laughs> oh, uh, I, you know it's. Let's just end a note on how uh, I'm forgetting his fucking name, but the classic era Slipknot drummer, someone Joey please, Jordison. Joey I got Jordison. you back, buddy. Yep. Is I? It's interesting how again, like in the world of extreme metal, as a drummer, he is respected. 
Like it is. It's interesting how it's like shit. crazy. Top. He is very I much slip, not because they're new metal, but Joey Jordanson's a great drummer, and it's yeah. like. Yeah. Tip your hat to that well, one, right? And you know and the thing, like I've I've never been a big fan of like Corey when he kind of starts rapping and everything, but like I, his clean singing, I think is gorgeous. Um, so you, you like Stone Sour at all? Uh, a, a bit, but I, I mean, it's Dude, not. Yeah. As, it's it, yeah. it's not as heavy as Slipknot. I like it I when he you. does it on Slipknot. Um, but yeah, but I get you, Joey Jordanson. I think is a fantastic drummer. He is. He really is. And like, I think that's where. <laughs> I think when we come to terms with what we think about musicians as people who create art, but also who exercise an instrument, like there's two different things. There's exercising your instrument really well and there's creating art. But when you do both, you're really good. And if you're going to say that Joey Jordanson is good, you have to admit then by proxy that new metal is art. And I, and I think Joe, you should go on record. And I think on your gravestone, it should say here lies Joe April. New metal is art. Period. I've actually been in contact with some people, and whether he wants it or not, that's going to happen. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast, via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond.